0: Your service matters. Whether you're in the military or you're a journalist or you're a teacher or a fireman, first responder, it matters when you serve.
1: It's about a purpose-driven life. If people wanted to ask me how my my child wants to be a catcher. What do I tell them? And I say, catch every ball. And in life, isn't
0: that the way it is? We all show some form of valor. Common people doing uncommon things loyalty, duty, honor,
1: respect, selfless service, integrity, personal courage.
0: They laid down everything to go to war for us so we can be free to sit here and talk this podcast.
1: Why? Why did you do it? What impelled you to put aside the instinct for self-preservation and risk your lives? It was faith and belief. It was loyalty and love, clear
0: convictions and beliefs. It's important in a democracy for us to know that freedom isn't free. The Bob Feller Act of Valor Foundation is exactly the right name for that foundation to inform the American public about the ideals and the virtues and the heroism of people like Bob Feller.
1: Bob Feller, he said, my one piece of advice is read our Constitution and run your lives according to the Constitution.
0: We swear an oath to a document that stands for freedom, makes this experiment that we call the United States of America.
1: We are not perfect, but we hold the moral high ground. We are trying to, in the words of our founding document, in order to form a more perfect union. There are going to be some tough calls to make the world safer, better, to represent those values.
0: We can continue to make this world a much, much better place. Greetings. My name is Galen O'Dell, alongside Colin Kirk, and welcome to the American Valor podcast. On the American Valor podcast, supported by the Bob Feller Act of Valor Award Foundation, our goal is to educate and inspire with acts of valor that embody the traits which National Baseball Hall of Famer and United States Navy Chief Petty Officer Bob Feller lived by. Citizenship service above self, and commitment to country in a time of great national need. Today on the American Valor podcast, we are
1: joined by retired Rear Admiral Michael Javikoli. Thank you so much for joining us today. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your career?
2: Sure. So I joined the Navy uh, actually at the beginning of my junior year in college through a program called the Nuclear Propulsion Officer Candidate Program, and that led to a 34 year active duty career in submarines. I served on four separate submarines, commanded the USS Louisville in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. And then, after my operational portion of my career, I transitioned into the Acquisition Corps and spent the rest of my career in Washington, D.C. at the Navy Yard in submarine construction and program management. Retired from the Navy in August 2018. But really, to to describe me, you you would have to say that I was a lifelong baseball fan and underachieving baseball player. And it was an interesting, fortuitous coincidence that my command tour was the USS Louisville. I was supposed to go to a different ship, and at the end of my commanding officer training, my orders were changed. There were several things going on in the fleet that necessitated a, a, a change in the plan. And instead of going to command the USS Columbus, I ended up on the USS Louisville, which was fantastic. And, uh, you know, my, my crew, I, I dubbed them the Louisville Sluggers. They achieved beyond anything I could have ever hoped for. And it was it was just a fantastic time.
0: Wow, it sounds awesome. Were you guys able to get your hands on some Louisville Slugger baseball bets? We had a fantastic relationship with Hillrick and Bradsby, makers of the
2: Louisville Slugger and uh, many other people and businesses in the namesake city of Louisville, Kentucky. I was fortunate enough to take crew members back there twice for the Kentucky Derby. The owner of Maker's Mark Bourbon, Bill Samuels, was a a good friend and a patron and kept us well-supplied in Kentucky Derby pies and the occasional bottle of bourbon. And then there was a, a neat tradition. So the USS Louisville was the first submarine to fire a Tomahawk missile in conflict in 1991 in Operation Desert Storm, the liberation of Kuwait after the invasion by Iraq. And after that conflict ended, Hillary and Bradsby made a personalized bat for each crew member of the Louisville. In 2003, when I was commanding officer, we participated in Operation Iraqi Freedom And again, fired Tomahawk missiles, 16, in in that conflict. And the bat company, again, made a personalized bat for each member of the crew. So yes, I was able to get my hands on some Louisville Sluggers, and they are proudly displayed in my house.
0: Nice. How did you first meet Peter Fertig? Was it during your Navy career or afterwards? Well, I
2: actually met him when I was still in the Navy. So in 2012, I got a, a message on LinkedIn from a woman named Kim Mormon who had previously worked at the Louisville Stoneware Company. And I knew from, from the visits, the namesake city visits that we did. And she had reached out because she had met Peter Fertig and knew of his interest in Bob Feller and his interest in getting an award started with the Navy. And so she said, you know, I'll, I'll try and introduce you to anyone that I think might be helpful. And she reached out to me and said, is, you know, is this something that, that you would be interested in? And I, and I said, sure. As a baseball fan, I, I knew who Feller was. You know, he, his pitching career ended before, before I w- was born and really, you know, took up baseball fandom. But as one of the giants of the game, I knew who he was. And then I attended the Lone Sailor Award dinner in 2011, and he was honored. He had passed away the year before the ceremony, unfortunately, but he was honored along with Jerry Coleman and I think the Bridges family, Lloyd Bridges, Jeff Bridges, and Bo Bridges. So the Navy Memorial gives the Lone Sailor Award every year to a group of luminaries that had previously served in the Navy and then went on to do something else. So it's, you know, it's not a career Navy award. It's it's someone whose beliefs and, and moral system were perhaps shaped by their service in the Navy. And then they leveraged that into something else. And so, you know, Bob Feller is a, a classic example. So my wife and I actually attended that award dinner in 2011. And, you, you know, found out a little bit more about the history of his service and his baseball career. So when I got this out of the blue request. I said, sure, I'd be glad to help. I got in touch with Peter and we had a series of conversations about what he wanted to accomplish and what the best way to go about it was. So this, as I I said, was in January of 2013. I had been selected for flag rank, but not yet promoted to rear admiral. And so Peter thought that I might be helpful in, in getting this done. And it was kind of funny because the way this works is You know, the Bob Feller Active Valor Foundation is a non-government entity, and there are a whole bunch of hoops that you have to jump through to get permission to work with the Navy and to use the Navy logo and to say, you know, to give an award to a, a Navy service member. And so I kind of ran the gauntlet of those hoops trying to get this done, learned a lot about licensing and rights permissions and things like that. And there was, I wasn't getting much traction. There was, there was a lot of not opposition to it, but just a lot of people who had a lot of other things to do and worry about this and, and not, you know, we're not really interested in making it happen. But at the time, the chief of Naval operations, who's the senior uniformed officer in the Navy, was Admiral John Greenert. He's a submarine officer. And so, you know, we knew each other and I, I ran into him one morning in, in the gym on the Navy yard and was telling him about it. And he said, This is a fantastic idea. Of course we have to do this. Bob Feller is a hero. You know, we use him in chief petty officer training as a an example that new chiefs should look up to. We absolutely have to do this. Well, once he said that, then things went a lot more smoothly. Once people knew that the chief of naval operations was interested in making it happen, it started moving pretty quickly. And so we went from, you know, a LinkedIn message in January of 2013 to the first full-fledged awards ceremony right around Veterans Day in 2013. So, and that was a lot. That was just fantastic. Justin Verlander was the first Major League Baseball awardee. Yogi Berra was the Hall of Famer. He, unfortunately, was in declining health and couldn't travel from New Jersey down to DC for the awards ceremony. But Peter and I went up to Montclair, New Jersey, where he lived and where his Yogi Berra Museum is at the at the university there. And so we got to meet him and his wife and tour the museum and uh, present him with the bust for the award. So that was fantastic. And, you know, and then subsequent years also just really neat experience, you know, so we started off with awarding it to three people, which represented the three most important achievements of Bob Feller's career, a major league baseball player, a hall of famer and a Navy chief petty officer. And then over the years, it it kind of expanded beyond that. The Secretary of the Navy during that time was Ray Mabus. And I grew up in Mississippi. Ray Mabus was the governor of Mississippi. And my family and Secretary Mabus were pretty firm acquaintances. So, you know, and I knew he was a baseball fan. So we said, well, we've, we've got to get him to participate in this. And he spoke at several of the award ceremonies when he was secretary. And after the first or second one, he called me up and said, all right, so, you know, you may not know this, but the Department of the Navy organizationally owns both the Navy and the Marine Corps. So the Secretary of the Navy is the Secretary of the Navy, and he's also Secretary of the Marine Corps. So because the sea services work closely together, he said, listen, I love all my children, and I think we need to have a Marine Award as well. I said, okay, well, let's go work on that. And we, uh, you know, took it to the foundation board and they, they said, absolutely, you know, we can do that. And we decided to honor Jerry Coleman as a uh, Marine aviator who saw combat in two different conflicts, World War II and Korea, uh, and then an outstanding career as a Hall of Fame. Well, he was, it was an outstanding playing career as a second baseman for the New York Yankees And then uh, another outstanding career as a Hall of Fame broadcaster for the San Diego Padres. So that expanded it beyond the original three to have the fourth Jerry Coleman Award for a a United States Marine. And then one of our foundation board members, a guy named Scott Benning, who was a fleet master chief in the Navy and worked a lot with peer-to-peer mentoring groups, which is what we call the organization's that really started organically. The Navy was having challenges with junior sailors getting into trouble. And one, and I, I can't remember exactly where it started, but they started a, uh, a, a organization called SADD, S-A-D-D, modeled after the Mothers Against Drunk Driving. This is Sailors Against Destructive Decisions. So it involves more than just alcohol, but, but really any of the things that sailors might be tempted to do. No, they shouldn't. And, you know, can ruin their careers if they're not careful. And so the Sailors Against Destructive Decision chapters grew up organically in many commands around the Navy. And they were just a positive peer-to-peer influence for other junior sailors to help them, you know, mold their lives to provide themselves the best chance of success in a Navy career and in life afterwards. And so the Navy had been recognizing the chapters that were the most effective, and then due to some issue with recognizing elements of Navy command that this way, they decided that Navy itself could no longer provide these awards. And so they turned to us and said, can you pick this up? And we said, sure. So that rounded out the award roster from the original three to add the Marine Jerry Coleman Award and then the peer-to-peer mentoring awards for a, uh, a Shore Command and a Sea Command. So that kind of describes the growth of the, the foundation and the award ceremony over the years. And, and it's been, you know, the feedback has been nothing but positive. It's been good to be able to recognize both Major League players who actively support military service members and families, to recognize Major League Hall of Famers, who may have had service in their background or other support of the military. And then, of course, the service members themselves, who have done things during their career that emulate the characteristics of Bob Feller. It's been a good opportunity to recognize some really fantastic people. And then it's just a lot of fun as well.
1: You know, that's pretty funny because I've been with the foundation for a little over two years now. and I never heard the troubles on the military front in terms of getting the foundation started, I always just always thought about how hard it was getting into major league baseball. So it was nice to hear that story.
2: Well, any, you know, anytime you're, you're starting something new, you have to deal with number one, all the rules and regulations and figuring out how to thread your way through that thicket of barriers. And then number two, you've got to recognize that maybe other people don't see it as such a fantastic opportunity that you do. And you either have to convince them of that and, get them on board, or you have to find some way that appeals to their sense of duty. In this case, it was very easy. The senior uniformed officer in the Navy said it was a good idea. And when your boss is interested, you become fascinated. So it's uh, it was slow starting, but then it picked up speed and been going gangbusters ever since.
1: And we also had Ray Mabus on the podcast probably over a year ago now. And I didn't know he started the uh, Jerry coleman award for the foundation as well so that's pretty
2: pretty neat Yep, he was fantastic fantastic supporter still he came back i think he was there at the 2019 award ceremony so you know he still stays in touch and participates when he can so of all the
1: award ceremonies you've been to do you have a favorite or a specific moment that sticks out to you
2: well there's two really the first one was I guess the second year, the Hall of Fame awardee was Tommy Lasorda. And I did listen to the podcast interview with Tommy, and it was exactly like that, but for about an hour. I mean, (laughs) once once Tommy Lasorda starts telling stories, he does not stop. You can't get him to stop, and you don't want him to stop. So it was probably the longest edition of the award ceremony that we've ever had, but it was also one of the most enjoyable. And the really neat thing is, he was there. Bobby Valentine was with him. Honestly, I can't remember why, but Tommy and Bobby came, and Bobby, you know, had been manager of the New York Mets, and this was not too long after he got thrown out of a game, and then somehow found, you know, those the clown glasses with the big nose and the fake mustache. And he had put those on and (laughs) snuck back into the dugout and gotten in trouble again for that. And and so shortly after that, he was at the awards ceremony. I was the Navy host for that one. And I had gone out and bought a set of the glasses and nose and mustache. And I just couldn't bring myself to put it on for the awards ceremony. I, I thought it would be a lot of fun, but I also realized that, you know, maybe not the best place in time to poke fun at Bobby when he was just there as a fan and and with Tommy. So I held back on that, but then ended up with a friend of of mine and I went out to dinner that night after the awards ceremony with Tommy Lasorda and his entourage. And Peter went with us too at uh, Carmine's Italian restaurant, which is right around the corner from the Navy Memorial. So, you know, sitting at, at a huge table with a big Italian dinner with Tommy Lasorda and his group and us, that was one of the highlights of my service to the foundation. The other one was, as you may know, I'm a big Washington Nationals fan. And so at the 2018 awards ceremony, I had retired in August of 18. So this was you know just two or three months later in November. And the winner for the major league baseball player was Sean Doolittle. And so Sean's just a really fantastic guy. Kind of quirky, but, you know, really good heart and really, really strong support of the military. He's a a distant relative, you know, something like a seventh relation of Jimmy Doolittle, the Air Force general who, as a colonel, led the raid on Tokyo in the early part of World War II. So Sean comes by it naturally, and, and he and his wife were, were just fantastic. They're still fantastic, but they were fantastic while they were here with the Nationals, you know, with working with Walter Reed and, and other service member opportunities. And so having him win the award was just really neat, you know, to have him there at, uh, in D.C. at the Navy Memorial and being awarded. So those two moments are my favorite.
0: Admiral, do you consider the Bob Feller Act of Valor Award Foundation as a great example of how baseball and the military have such strong and close ties to one another? Absolutely. You know, the, the foundation
2: has put together a, a, an exhibit that describes the 30-something Hall of Famers who, who served in the, in the military during World War II or other periods. And, you, you know, it's I, I would say there's, there's, there's two reasons that, that it's unique between baseball and the military more so than any other sport. Number one, the element of teamwork is so critical in baseball. Even though it's a game of individual physical acts, the combination of those physical acts through teamwork are just incredible. And if you think about it, you know, you think about a batter who, you know, hits a liner into the gap between the left fielder and the center fielder. All the things that have to happen to have an opportunity to throw him out as he's trying to stretch that into a double, you know, from the initial positioning of the fielders, from the initial understanding and agreement between the pitcher and the catcher on how you're going to pitch to this guy, and maybe he didn't do so well because he stroked the liner into the gap, but then, you know, for the fielder to get to the ball, play it at the right angle off the wall, turn and fire a throw into the cutoff man. Have the cutoff man relay that and cut the runner down is a teamwork elemental to that act is so similar to all the things that have to happen in the things I'm most familiar with. You know, when you're, when you're operating a warship, a submarine, and you're loading torpedoes and, and you're getting the ship into position and you're collecting all the, the data that you can on your sensors to understand where the threat is. And then you're solving the, the geometry of the problem to know where that torpedo has to go to have the best chance of getting a hit, you know. So two completely different goals, but the teamwork and meshing of all those individual acts to create an outcome that is necessary, you know, what you need to do. There's a real symmetry there. And then the second thing is that baseball is just the iconic American game, really well expressed in the monologue by James Earl Jones in Field of Dreams. You know, but it's always been there and it's, it's measured us through time. You know, it's changed to reflect the things that are important to us and it continues to be relevant, you know, despite faults and the failings of the people in the game. And, you know, the challenges that the game has to keep up with advances in, in science and, and other things. It's still relevant. It's still popular. It still means a lot. It just stands up throughout the test of time. So we talked about how you saw
1: some growth in the foundation from eight years. And since you've been there since kind of the start, do you have any hopes or desires or goals for the foundation for the next eight years that you would like to see come to fruition?
2: I think that Peter and the board have done a fantastic job at taking it from what it initially was, which was just a way to honor the legacy of Bob Feller to say, okay, you know, we've got this opportunity. We want to be more than just an award ceremony for baseball fans and porters of the Navy. What can we do? And so the uh, taking on of the challenge of the educational component of the foundation was really a big step. And it was a pretty natural fit to say, okay, we've got people here. By this time, it it was more than just Bob Feller. It was Jerry Coleman. You know, we have the opportunity to, expand it to all of the people who sacrificed so much in World War II around the time that Dan Rather's Greatest Generation book was, was very popular, say, okay, so how can we take the lessons of the greatest generation and hopefully strike a chord with the youngest generation and get them to understand you know, you know that there are important things in life that they have to understand and be ready to act on? You know, there are many different outlets for a service philosophy and an understanding that you have to do something to contribute to the greater good. And we've certainly seen that over the last couple of years. There are many challenges that we still have to deal with in our country. It's by no means a perfect union, but as our founding documents say, you know, our role is to continue to strive towards that perfect union. And if we can help Teach some people that there are things to emulate in our history and there are people to understand and look up to in our history. That if you do that, then you give yourself a better chance to improving where we are today. And, you know, there's a lot of work left to be done to strive towards that perfect union. And if we can help people recognize that and get moving in that direction, then that's a good thing. So continuing to strengthen the educational arm of the foundation. And then there's no reason, to certainly started with Navy tinge to it because of Bob Feller, and that's who Peter Furtick was enamored with. But down the road, it'd be neat if we could grow enough to support awarding similar awards to Army and Air Force, and who knows, someday down the road, Space Force. You know, there are other worthy service members in the other services, and there are certainly other worthy heroes that served in the Army and the Air Force as well. So perhaps someday we'll expand to include all the services. But I think right now the most important thing is to continue to strengthen that education component.
0: A question we often ask our guests on the podcast involves the word valor. From your point of view, what does the word valor mean to you? Valor,
2: it's interesting because, you know, it's, synonymous with a lot of other words, you know, courage, bravery, but the word valor has something extra. And to me, what's extra is that it's not just a physical act of courage or bravery. It has to be associated with something, a cause, an effort that has meaning. So, you know, in in World War II, it was literally the struggle for freedom around the world. And that infused the fight throughout both the Pacific and the Atlantic theater with something more than just territorial gains, Navy ship losses. It's more than just being brave enough to charge that hill. It is being brave enough and understanding that the cause you're fighting for is so critically important that it requires that bravery and that courage. So it's difficult to find acts of valor in everyday life, but they're there. And it may not be the, uh, the sands of Iwo Jima. You know, that great Marine Corps battle and victory and the famous line were uncommon acts of valor were a common virtue. So finding that today in everyday life is a challenge, but they're there. And it may be the person who is dedicating time that they cannot reasonably spare because they believe in a cause so strongly that they're out there organizing and making the issue known and convincing other people of rightfulness of that issue and then getting laws or procedures or policies changed to ensure that our country continues to grow towards that more perfect union. It may also be the service member halfway around the world in a far-flung outpost on an unsupported mission doing something incredibly dangerous in order to keep our country safe. A lot of it depends on your point of view, but I think that we can agree that there are things going on out there every day that people will recognize as being acts of valor. And, you know, just being able to, in some small way, help recognize and award those people who are exemplifying that is very satisfying.
0: Rear Admiral Jaboli, thank you so much for joining us today on the American Valor podcast. It was great getting to meet you and speak with you. Thank you, Galen. I enjoyed it as well. And Colin, thank you very much. To our listeners, this conversation with retired Rear Admiral Michael Jabboli concludes this episode of the American Valor podcast. Rear Admiral Jabboli acknowledges and regrets misquoting Fleet Admiral Chester Nimitz, a submariner and personal hero of his, on his reflection on the Battle of Iwo Jima. What Nimitz actually said was, quote, among the men who fought on Iwo Jima, uncommon valor was a common virtue. Quote. This conversation was brought to you by the Bob Feller Active Valor Award Foundation, the Department of the United States Navy, Major League Baseball, USAA, BWXT, Huntington Ingalls, and the Cleveland Indians. Please leave your comments in the comment section below and connect with the Bob Feller Active Valor Award Foundation on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Active Valor Award. You can engage with the foundation at activevaloraward.org. There, you can learn more about Bob Feller, Jerry Coleman, recent nominees of the awards, view pictures, and sign up for updates, including the American Valor Podcast, and more. For Colin Kirk and everyone here at the American Valor Podcast, I'm Galen O'Dell. Thank you for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time.